listening to From the Friars, the podcast of the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York. Morning, brothers. Uh, As I um, read over this gospel yesterday, I was struck by um, something I hadn't seen before. just before Jesus sitting on his throne makes the announcement to those on the right and the left, he refers to them and the ones on his right as those blessed by my Father and those on his left, those accursed. And I was reminded of that passage in Deuteronomy, you know, the blessing and the curse. Um, and, I, and I immediately opened... Uh, like, oh, where is it in Deuteronomy? And I opened directly to that passage, and uh, it was um, the Lord, you know, inviting the Israelites to choose life. Uh, he's setting before them life and death, the blessing or the curse, to be obedient to his commandments and his ways, and live, or, or to be disobedient and to die. And, uh, and so in, re- in relation to... Um, Jesus sitting on his throne at the last judgment, uh, he proposes the same thing. Uh, be blessed, those blessed by my Father are those who did for the least, the least ones. And those accursed are those who did not do for the least. And there's something about the performance of the commandment, the obedience to the commandment that the blessing comes and the disobedience that is where the curse comes. Um, the difference is, and the good news is, that what I realized, the difference between what we have in Deuteronomy and what we have today is that Jesus not only gives us the commandment, but he gives us the example and the means to live the commandment. So I want to just make a distinction between two types of kings. Maybe a third. We'll see if I get there. Um, the first is the, the, the king that was reigning in Judea at the time Jesus was born. King Herod. Herod the Great. Now this is, a type, this is a, um, an earthly king who reigns in a very um, different way to Christ, the king of the universe. Here are just some, uh, some information about, about how Herod reigned. So he had to fight his way into Jerusalem. Once he comes into Jerusalem, he has to defend his land from Queen Cleopatra of Egypt, who's trying to take over most of the east. Then he has to use flattery and cunning with the emperor, to acquire more territory. And then he's so consumed by fear and insecurity about conspiracies within his own, within his own family even that he executes his wife and three of his sons and others in his household. And he's ruled by ambition. So he's one of the... And because of that, he's one of the most um, prolific builders in Jewish history. Um, and then, as we know, when Jesus is born, 
he is totally threatened by the prospect of the king of the Jews and orders the slaughter of the firstborn males. So Herod the Great, his, his kingship is characterized by fear and insecurity and suspicion and and in response to that, there's this, 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 this violent response in defense. And I was thinking, why does Herod reign like that? And his kingship is an isolated kingship. He lives, uh, he's almost, the picture is like this king just alone on his throne. And actually I found out his father was assassinated when he was 25. So the second king, Christ, the king of the universe, who we celebrate today. And the question is, why is Christ, the king of the universe, such a different king to King Herod and many of the other kings throughout history? This crucified king who reigns from the cross. How is this possible? So I've got a, I just want to list a bunch of questions that was helpful to me, might be helpful to us. What allows a king to forsake his crown? What is it about a king who hides his glory and his beauty? What gives a king the ability to serve his own subjects? Why would a king let himself be humiliated? How is it that this king has no need to earn his position or defend his position or win the approval of men? In fact, he seems willing to do the opposite. What is it about a king who serves his subjects and freely dies for them? How is it that he doesn't need to manipulate people and circumstances to advance his own interests? He doesn't need to pose for others or to make his authority felt. How is it that he doesn't need to manufacture his life or preserve his life or protect his life? In fact, he empties his life of what is rightly his, equality with God. He empties himself of what is rightly his. How is it that he freely and humbly rides into Jerusalem knowing what awaits him. When we were in the Holy Land this uh, past January, uh, one of my favorite uh, days was when we went both to the Garden of Gethsemane and to the Palace of Caiaphas. And from the Palace of Caiaphas, you can see the Garden of Gethsemane. And so our, our guide told us that, uh, and so what separates the garden and the palace, the palace is up high, the garden is across the Kidron Valley below. And our guide told us that it would have taken about 45 minutes or an hour to walk from the palace of Caiaphas to the garden. So the soldiers... And the guards who came to arrest Jesus came by night with torches to the garden. And so 
from the garden that would have been in full view of Jesus. So he knew that they were coming. So again, how is it that this king doesn't escape arrest? So here's what I think is the answer. Only one who knows exactly who he is and what he is about can reign as Jesus reigns. Only one whose identity and mission is received and not manufactured can reign as Jesus reigns. And He is the beloved son of the father and he knows this. He is pleasing to the father and he knows this. He is sent by the father and he knows this. And so he's absolutely secure and certain in who he is. He's totally free and totally in control. He knows exactly who he is and what he's about. And so that's why he can say Somewhere in the gospel, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down freely. And Scott Hahn has a nice uh, interpretation, a nice insight here. He says that, that, um, that no one could take his life, Jesus' life on Good Friday, because he'd already given it the night before in the garden when he said, to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. So I will talk about this third king, Miguel Pro. I was reminded of Miguel Pro because I was doing a paper on the Mexicans uh, coming to America after the persecution in the 1920s. And I also was reminded of him because of his final words, Viva Cristo Rey, Hail Christ the King. And I saw, when I was reading about Miguel Pro, there's so many similarities uh, in the way that he died um, and the way that Christ died. And, but before he died, while the persecution was going on, he was one of the most wanted men in Mexico. And he knew this. But he, um, he would visit the prison daily and bring gifts to the Catholic prisoners and distribute con- communion to them and hear confessions at risk of his own life. And then when he was finally arrested, uh, it was actually a garden where he died, where he was executed, a former garden, which was a beautiful uh, Spanish garden. Um, and had been turned into this garden of death. And as he's approaching the spot where he's going to be executed, he, uh, they noticed that he said something to the officer who was taking him over. And the officer uh, had permitted him one final request. And Miguel Pro said that I might be permitted to pray. So the officer granted that request and 
Miguel knelt down, took a crucifix from his pocket, pressed it to his lips and closed his eyes and prayed on his knees for two minutes. And then after that, he stood up and made the sign of the cross over all the photographers and the reporters and all the guards. And he said, God, have mercy on you. May God bless you. Lord, you know that I am innocent. With all my heart, I pardon my enemies. Then he opened his arms in the form of a cross and cried out in a loud voice, Viva Cristo Rey, Hail Christ the King. And then he was shot five times through the chest. And again, the question, how did Miguel Pro serve without fear in those prisons and then freely lay down his life at the, at, in the garden of death there in Mexico? He had received from Christ the gift of Christ's own freedom. Miguel knew who he was and what he was about. He knew the blessing of the Father. And in the preface today we'll hear uh, that Jesus received the anointing from the Father, the oil of gladness. And that same oil of gladness is what is given to us in baptism by the Holy Spirit and is allowed to uh, become fruitful as we participate increasingly in the Lord's life as he gives himself to us in the Eucharist. So the difference between Herod the Great and Christ the King and Miguel Pro is, is radical. And it's simply a kingship that is connected to sonship, that is received, totally trusted in, totally certain, totally secure, that can walk into any circumstance and respond to what's required. And so the blessing, uh, the blessing comes both in the doing, the obedience to the command, but it first comes from the reception of the gift. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Please visit us on our website, franciscanfriars.com, or follow us on social media, CFR underscore Franciscans. God bless you.